0: Good morning, everyone. Um, Today's Bible reading will be from two different books, um, Isaiah 9, um, verses 1 to 7, and Luke 2, verses 8 to 14. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, Now we'll jump on to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy,
1: Thanks so much Marlene. Good morning everyone. Great to see you and how good is it to to sing together. Loved hearing your voices. Um, Yeah we're coming into Christmas now which seems amazing doesn't it? It's just gosh it's come so quick. Uh, I, I want you this morning to picture something with me. We are at a busy subway station in Washington. People are coming back and forward to work, day like any other. And then a young man emerges from the subway carriage wearing a weathered baseball hat, if you can picture it, wearing clothes like everyone else. He retrieves a violin from a small case, sets down the case next to a trash bin, puts down his hat so that people can donate money and then begins to play. He plays for 43 minutes, he plays six, classical pieces over that time, 1,097 people pass by, and each of them has a choice, as you do when you pass any busker or street entertainer, your choice is, do I stop and listen? Do I give some money? Or do I do what Dan would do, which is like hurry past and avoid eye contact at any cost? What would you do? Just think to yourself, what would you do? 63 people pass by before anyone gives the guy even a chance. So nobody stops until it's the 63rd person. One woman throws a couple of dollars in, keeps walking. Six minutes into his performance, actually is is when the first person stops. Before then, it's just people passing by, throwing in a dollar or so. So probably not a very successful morning, wouldn't you say? Only six people stop in total. Here's the thing you need to know about this guy. So here's, here's how he would have looked. If we can get that, please, Reynard. Here's how he would have looked. And then the other thing you need to know about this guy, is his name is Joshua Bell. Mary knows who that is. <laughs> he is one of the most acclaimed violinists of modern times. It's kind of funny looking at them side by side, isn't it? It's like on the left side is how Rob normally looks. On the right side is how he looked this morning. It's like you can't get those clothes at slimes. <laughs> so just earlier that week, people paid in excess of 150 bucks a ticket to go and watch Joshua Bell perform his classical music. Uh, the music that he was playing that morning that morning, the six pieces, were among the most difficult classical pieces that you could play, and the the, uh, instrument that he was playing on, you can see it's the same violin both times, was a 1713 Stradivari worth $3.5 million, and people hurried by. Only six bothered to stop. I think that mirrors what perhaps a lot of us might do at Christmas time, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Because amazing as it is that this famous musician stopped and he was all undercover and all of that and barely anyone watched, even more amazing is the fact that God himself has come to earth in human form and declared that he brings peace. Uh, that is such more beautiful music than even can come from a $3.5 million violin and yet again intentionally or unintentionally many of us pass him by many of us fail to, to stop and listen we miss the significance of it uh, perhaps it's right to say that Jesus gets overshadowed by other things and they can be positive things like presents and family whatever else and we know that whole story but you know again if we're honest here at the end of 2020 Christmas has come too quickly hasn't it Christmas has come too quickly for really the meaning of this to all settle upon us. I I think so. Uh, Sky and I were actually at the uh, the shops on Thursday night over at Erin Affair, and uh, it was late night shopping. And our observation was, there's barely anyone here. It just it just feels like a normal Thursday night of shopping, but we're less than two weeks out from Christmas. I think people are just in denial it's come way too quickly and in fact while we were there cruising the aisles of big w looking for present ideas sky found an easter egg on one of the shelves we're just like slow down (laughs) everything's going way too quick here and and i think what can happen is because christmas has come around so quick after all that this year has brought uh, we just the meaning doesn't settle on us like it perhaps normally does jesus gets overshadowed by other things would you agree and so especially then, uh, as we think about 2020, you know, I have friends who, who are counselors and are psychologists, and they say that the end of this year has been busier than any time in their career, because there are people coming in, they're financially stressed because of 2020, they, their marriages uh, have these cracks that they didn't know were there, uh, their kids haven't coped well with the changes of this year, and they're coming in, they're trying to get help. And maybe that's kind of how you feel at the end of this year as we approach Christmas. It's like somebody let me off this train. Uh, maybe at this time of year all your dashed hopes of 2020 have sort of come home to roost as it were. You're looking at the bank balance and it's like Jesus this is, this is going to be a lean Christmas. Uh, maybe uh, you've, you've had some unmet goals this year and you're feeling disappointed, like a bit of a, a failure or something. Maybe this year hasn't gone the way that you hoped and maybe you're fearful about what next year will bring. There's lots of things that can consume our attention. But this morning and next week, what we're going to do is stop to take notice of Jesus, to see the significance of Christ, My click is not working there, Raynard. I might need you just to keep going through. I'll let you know when. So seeing the significance of Christ. We're going to pause. We're going to listen to the music, as it were. We're going to hear this beautiful song of Christ playing through the scriptures and be reminded of how incredible he actually is. We're going to do this in two parts. So next week, uh, Rob is going to take us through looking at Jesus from above and below sounds a bit cryptic we're going to look at Jesus as fully God above and fully man below and then why both of those facts are so important for him being our saviour today we're going to look at Jesus from behind not like the back of his head or whatever but from behind in terms of how does the Old Testament bear witness to who he is how, does, how do the pages of, of this book, the first two-thirds of it, drip with the truth of who Christ is? So, if you track with me this morning on this stuff, I think it will actually wrestle your attention back from the things that might be consuming you at this time of year, and it will bring great refreshment to you. How about we pray as we dive in? Lord God, thank you so much that you are here in our midst. Thank you that you do speak through your word. We pray, Lord, please, that uh, you would refresh us with the truth of who your son is from the whole of scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, if we had all morning, uh, we could go through from Genesis to Malachi and I can show you all these different prophecies that point to Christ and all these different patterns that show who He is, but yeah, we'd have to tell the 10.30 service, sorry, you have to wait outside, we're crammed to the, the gunnels in here, it's not going to work. Uh, so instead, what I want to do is just take one passage. Just one single passage will keep it very achievable. Uh, I was actually clued into the significance of this passage by another Aussie pastor, uh, Craig Lloyd, who's a a friend of Rob's. Um, It's just such a, it's a beautiful, rich passage that shows who Christ is so so wonderfully. Um, And in fact, if you listen to Christmas carols closely, you hear that many of them have their basis in the passage that we're going to look at. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Uh, if you've got that in your Bibles, open it up. It's a little past the halfway point. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. And um, it's, it's actually so important that we start by going into the world of this passage. I want to bring us into the context of it. Because it's, it's, you know, we're stepping back 2,800 years here. It's a very foreign world. More foreign than ever, ever, any country we might visit today. Uh, just because of the distance of time. And so what I want us to do is step back these 2,700, 2,800 years in Isaiah 9 and put ourselves in the shoes of an everyday person from the land of Judah. And if you talked to this person, he might say something like this. Have you heard of this guy, Isaiah? Calls himself a prophet. He says he speaks for God. And what does he say to us? He tells us to repent. Repent of what? Everything under the sun, apparently. He says that we've been murderers, adulterers, turned our backs on God. We've been oppressing the poor, oppressing the vulnerable. He says that we call evil good. He says that we call darkness light. I tell you, he's been very direct with us. He said that if we don't stop this sin that we're committing and repent and turn our our way back to God, God is going to come and smash us. (laughs) Well, at first, we were a little bit worried about what he said. But then a few years passed and nothing happened. So we thought that Isaiah, well... (laughs) some prophet he is but then something happened it actually made us all tremble you see our brothers up in Israel and I've actually got a map here that my wife drew where is it there it is so our brothers up in Israel they made an alliance with Syria and they decided with Syria they were going to come down and take over our land in Judah And we were all really scared. We started to think, maybe Isaiah was right. Maybe this was God's judgment. But then Isaiah told our king, King Ahaz, don't be afraid of Israel and Syria. They are like two matchsticks that are about to burn out. And Isaiah gave a word from the Lord to King Ahaz. He said, don't fear them fear me fear the God who made you it was an amazing message and I thought to myself why on earth would God want to protect us after all that we'd done to him he said he was going to smash Israel and smash Syria for coming against us he said that the proof of this would be a child would be born from a virgin and that child's name would be Emmanuel, which I think means God with us. I'll tell you, I, I didn't understand why on earth God would say something like this to it, but I sure was glad to hear those words, God with us. But King Ahaz, he didn't listen. He didn't trust God's word. Instead, he went to the biggest, baddest superpower in the world, King tiglath pileser from Assyria. And he emptied our whole treasury and gave it all to the king of Assyria and said, can you please protect us? And the king of Assyria came and he wiped out Israel and he wiped out Syria and took them into, uh, sorry, Syria, and he took them into exile. And we thought, fantastic. Now the king of Assyria has protected us sort of because here's what happened next our new neighbours they looked at their, their house next door down in Judah and they thought I like the look of that house I might have that for myself and King tiglath and his army from Assyria all camped at our border and made a lot of noise about invading us And that really made us tremble, not just because of the army at our door, but because we knew we'd angered God. We turned our backs on him yet again, and now he was bringing judgment. We really have something to fear. Do you get the picture there? I don't know why this guy from Judah speaks with an Aussie accent. You, you can't you can't prove he didn't, <laughs> but but get the picture, right? Judah as a nation, what were they? How were they treating God? They were constantly rejecting him, over and over and over, from the top down, from King uh, King Ahaz right down. And so now they've got three very angry neighbours, <laughs> and even worse, one very very angry God. They are about to come under his judgment. This is about as bad as it can get, isn't it? darkness anguish and gloom just like Isaiah said and I don't know where you're at this morning again as we approach Christmas 2020 uh, maybe you're feeling like a failure maybe you're feeling disappointed in how this year has gone Uh, maybe you reflect on your walk with God and you're realizing I I haven't treated him as he deserves I'm a bit like this crew from Judah maybe one thought that's crossed your mind is maybe god has withdrawn his love where is he during all this time? i don't know where you're at one thing i do know is that wherever you're at it's probably not as bad as what judah was facing at this point in history right and that's what makes the next part of isaiah so surprising it feels like the whole book actually should wrap up at the end of chapter 8 which is where I've just brought us up to with our friend from Judah it's like there's darkness, there's anguish, there's gloom the people have turned their back on God he's bringing judgment and we the reader go yep, that's right, they deserve it end of story but take a look at the very first word in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 if you've got your Bible there, take a look at the very first word it's the word but depending on your translation, nevertheless, however, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, yes, you failed, just like me, just like Judah, yes, you have failed, yes, you have turned your back on God, yes, you do deserve his judgment, it's just, it's righteous, but that's not the end of the story, God has more to say. There is still hope. Where does his hope come from? Keep reading through verse one. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. He's saying hope will come from a person that will come out of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And our friend from Judah with the Aussie accent, Uh, he would have heard these words and been like no way not a chance not from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali no because uh, those two tribes of Israel were the very northern tip of of Israel and so if you imagine an army like Assyria coming through or or other um, opponents in previous days they would come from the north and where do you think they'd camp first Zebulun and Naphtali right right there And so they would invade that place. The soldiers would stay. They'd intermarry and intermingle. They'd father a generation of of half-breeds, mudbloods, people who are are half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And for a Jew, at this point in history, that is anathema. That is disgusting. That's ugh, like, no. They've disobeyed God. They've turned their back. They've become mixed. They've betrayed their their heritage and their family. So to say that hope is going to come from Zebulun and Naphtali is, oh, my. that doesn't compute that makes no sense they are mixed race they are forsaken by God in fact later on this place Zebulun and Naphtali would become known as Galilee the region of Galilee and as we know in the New Testament people would often say nothing good can come out of Galilee it's Galilee of the Gentiles not the Jews but hope will come from this place Hope can come from the most surprising of places. Read on through verse 2. This paints a picture of what will happen when this person out of Galilee comes. Look what he says. Isaiah says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Now darkness in the Bible represents sin and represents distance from God. It means distance from God's blessing. And if you can picture, I don't know if you've ever been in a time where where you have been completely in the dark. I don't just mean like, you know, you've got just the light of your phone or something. I mean complete darkness and in a place in which you're unfamiliar, like you've been turned around. Um, sometimes people talk about this when they go scuba diving. Their light stops working and they are in complete darkness. And in that moment, it's just pure panic, isn't it? you can't see an inch in front of your face you can't feel where you are you've got no mental map of the place and you feel the fear the danger the panic that is the picture of darkness in the bible you are helpless you are stuck in sin and judgment is coming but to the people who walked in darkness a light will come this person out of galilee and in the bible light represents god's presence to bless his presence to bless to bring uh, all that you need to get out of the danger and the fear and the helplessness and so the picture here in Isaiah is that the world and all of us lie shrouded in the darkness of sin but out of Galilee will come a person who brings light a new day a new dawn a new era and when this light comes Joy will replace gloom. Take a look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And do you notice there a repeated word? Take a look. Verse 3. Joy, rejoice, joy. Happiness will come when this light, this person, comes out of Galilee. And Isaiah gives two pictures of that happiness. The first is a harvest, the second is a spoil. And both of these are a little bit like separate from us. Um, think about a harvest, for example. How many people here have, have been part of a, a harvest? I, I haven't. Um, we we are, are scarcely wanting for food, right? Like our biggest worry about food generally is is there enough on the Christmas table? And the answer is always, yes, (laughs) there's more than enough. In fact, apparently this year, um, lobster has fallen to like historic low prices because of diplomatic tensions with China. So you can have lobster at your Christmas lunch if you want. Like what a world in which we live. (laughs) Uh, We don't generally have to worry about food. But of course, back in Isaiah's time in the Old Testament, it was literally field to mouth whether the harvest comes is literally the difference between life and death. So if you have good soil and a good crop that grows and then a, you, know, you collect it all, then you have a good harvest and you have seed for next year as well. To capture maybe some of the joy of this, imagine that, that you've done all your work for the year and then your boss deposits into your bank account a bonus equal to an entire years of worth, right? What would you want to do? party (laughs) that's amazing i'm secure i don't have to worry that's what the people in isaiah's time would have thought when the harvest comes we've got enough we've got enough we're not going to starve and next year's sorted too because we've got the seed the harvest is a picture of joy and then there's another picture a picture of a spoil if you divide the spoil what's it mean it means you've won the war the enemies who are camping around you and threatening your life have been defeated. So you're safe, your wife or your husband is safe, your kids are safe, your grandkids are safe, your house is safe, your crops are safe. You can now live in peace. And so of course you're going, I don't believe it, this is great. There's great joy and it's no wonder that for example, at the end of World War II, you get pictures like this. (laughs) Joy, celebration when the light comes from Galilee the people's anguish will be replaced with joy and this light, this person will also replace oppression with freedom remembering again that Israel or Judah at this point is surrounded by angry neighbours who want to invade them in fact um, God's people were always like this the Ammonites, the Amalekites the Hittites, the Midianites the Jebusites the ites the, ites, the ites, they were always trying to invade Israel and take this land for their own uh, there's one example given there if you can see it in verse 4 the Midianites this was back in the time of the judges there was this great army that was camped outside of Israel and so God raised up a leader Gideon and Gideon then took an army quote unquote of 300 people right you can't conquer anyone with 300 people but because of God's blessing Gideon, with his army of 300, go and drive out the Midianites. They're defeated. They divide the spoil. There's joy. And the oppression of the Midianites is replaced then with freedom. The people are free to live in safety. And it's not through their military power, 300 people. It's through God's decision to act and show mercy. This is what the light out of Galilee will do. They will bring true freedom and when this light comes peace will replace war you know, think about this especially if you're not a christian this is a really interesting thing to think through from the beginning of the world there has never been a time where humanity did not know conflict think about that a christian would say from the time of adam and eve there has never been a time without conflict but a time is coming where this person out of Galilee will bring peace. They will end war. If you take a look at the passage there, it's when the blood-soaked clothing will be washed and gone. No need for it anymore. The, uh, the sound of marching boots going into battle will be heard no more. War and battle and conflict will be dealt with and be replaced with peace finally an end to violence. What an incredible thing this person will do, right? Think about those words. Light, joy, freedom, peace. How will it happen? Take a look at verse 6. When this person comes, they will come as a child. Verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And again, just put yourself in the shoes of our friend from Judah. And he'd go, what? A child from the northern tip of Israel with all of those half-bloods? He's going to do all this? Impossible. What child could possibly do this? And we read on. As we read on, we discover more surprises. The identity of this child, this child is going to come from David's line. They're going to be a king. They're going to be a ruler. Uh, This child, when they rule, will rule with justice and righteousness. What kind of child is this? And our friend, again, from Judah, would perhaps at this point click his fingers, and he'd go, I know what child this is. Line of David, rules with righteousness and justice. Of course, this is Hezekiah. Right? That's what you were thinking, right? hezekiah (laughs) hezekiah is the son of king ahaz king ahaz bad king king hezekiah actually a really good king this was around the time of of isaiah king hezekiah was around Uh, he was from the line of david he ruled generally with justice and righteousness so like tick tick Uh, in fact um, back in isaiah's time they would have read it that way they would have gone yeah this is this is probably hezekiah that's being talked about here And in fact, if you talk to a Jew today, like a modern day um, Israelite, they might say, yes, this was talking about Hezekiah. But here's the thing. Although Hezekiah was from the line of David, and although he generally ruled with justice, he started well and finished poorly. If you read Isaiah chapter 36 to 39, you'll see Hezekiah's story. Basically, he starts as a good king, but then at the end of his life, uh, even after the Assyrians have been driven away, um, he basically takes the whole treasury, just like his dad did, shows it off to the Babylonians, and then the Babylonians come through and, and they're going to rip everything out because of Hezekiah's pride. And do you know what Hezekiah's response is when Isaiah tells him, you have sold your people into slavery with Babylon? His response is, oh well, at least I lived a good life. <laughs> Does that sound like the sort of king that we see here in Isaiah 9? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, he never ended war. He created more war. He never brought true freedom. He actually put his people into slavery. He never established an eternal kingdom. So although it might initially look like Hezekiah, this is in fact hinting at the kind of king that no human alone could ever be. And so much more when you look at some of the titles that this king will have. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor someone whose counsel and wisdom are perfect who speaks the very words of god this person will be called mighty god if you see him you in fact will see god the very embodiment of god's power and majesty Uh, this person will be called the everlasting father if you see them you will see the father you see god whose reign is everlasting this person will be called the prince of peace Someone who will truly end war and violence, and not just between man and man, but between man and God. And someone might say, a child will do this. Really? What kind of child is this? And finally, finally, we can jump forward another 700 years, and we discover a child born from a virgin a child born from the line of David, but also born of the Holy Spirit, a child who is divine, a child who is mighty God. And when this child is born, there's a party, there's a celebration, there's great joy. Uh, Look at these words from Luke chapter two, verse 10 to 14, and just hear some of the echoes of Isaiah. The angels come and they announce to shepherds that they have good news of great what? joy great joy because a baby will be born a child connected to the line of david he will be christ the lord the one who rules and the result will be on earth peace among those with whom god is pleased see this child jesus according to the new testament comes to bring light joy freedom and peace as part of his everlasting kingdom in fact the new testament is so clear on this that matthew one of jesus closest followers himself a jew who would have known these words from isaiah by heart he says this and i won't read out the whole lot but from matthew 4 13 to 16 what do you notice just about that indented bit there do you notice anything familiar Yep, land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, a great light to people in darkness, a light has dawned. This is an exact quote from Isaiah. And Matthew, 700 years later, is saying, I've seen this Jesus, this child who's now grown up. He's this guy. He's the guy that Isaiah was talking about, the guy who came out of Galilee. And where did Jesus grow up? Nazareth of Galilee. Where did he do much of his ministry? Around Capernaum and Galilee right hezekiah never touched galilee with a 60 foot barge pole but jesus he cut his teeth in galilee he is the light that has come out of galilee and he brings light joy freedom and peace as part of his everlasting kingdom matthew says this is the person in fact, I was talking with a couple of non-Christian friends uh, not too long ago about all this. We were just talking about how I was studying Isaiah and da 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 And um, I, I just said to them, hey, did you know that this guy, Isaiah, he wrote about Jesus 700 years before Jesus actually came to earth? and that the fingerprint is basically exactly the same. I, I talked about it with them. They're both really smart people, both of them scientists, right? And you could go into all the details of science versus faith and science versus the Bible and all that with these guys. But I just said that. I just said, you know, the Old Testament points to Jesus. And they said, I had no idea. I had no idea. I thought they were two disconnected books. I thought it was all just doctored by Christians. I had no idea that 700 years before Jesus came, those words were there. So it's fascinating, isn't it? And they said, why does no one ever talk about this? How much confidence does that give you, knowing that Jesus was prophesied 700 years before he came? Jesus himself had confidence in this, as did every carol rider who's ever lived. (laughs) Think about it this way. Jesus himself said that he brings light. John 8 verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. To those dwelling in the darkness of sin and the oncoming judgment of God, Jesus brings light. He is the light from Galilee. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. This is Jesus. And if the light of Christ did not come, hey, you and I would still be dead in our sins. We'd still be under the judgment of God. But now to all those who trust his work on the cross, paying his life in place of ours, taking our sin and darkness and anguish upon himself so that we might go free, we now have the light of life. And because of that, we have joy. Jesus comes to bring joy John 15, 11, Jesus says, I have come that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus doesn't come to give us a sad and sorrowful life where we mope around because, gosh, why did I become a Christian? He comes to give us joy, happiness, delight, I was talking with another non-Christian friend just the other night. When I was away last weekend, I was away with a bunch of mates. And um, I was talking with him about this aspect of the Christian life. Because he said to me, I have no idea why anyone would want to become a Christian. Dan, I have no idea why anyone would want to be like you, essentially. And uh, I know, pretty harsh. But but, um, he was saying, I just don't think it tells a happy story. I don't think it's a good story. And so I share with him, actually, (laughs) I think that knowing Jesus is such a better story. Think about it this way. Trusting in Jesus connects us with the God who I believe made us. The God who designed us and knows us from the, the very number of hairs on our head to the very tips of our toes. This God who made us, this God who even though we've rejected him, sent his son as payment for us. This God who did that because he wants relationship with us. He wants to walk with us, walk through life with us. The God who wants to save us and bring into an eternal inheritance set aside for us. This God who every single day wants to transform us from one degree of glory to the next. This God who does loves us too much to leave us just as we are, but changes into the person that he created us to be. This God who says to us, you don't need to pretend anymore to be someone that you're not. You can be all that I made and saved you to be in Christ. What a better story. (laughs) This is the joy that Christ comes to bring. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And Jesus brings freedom. He actually quotes this. You can see in Luke 4, he quotes Isaiah 61 when he reads these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to set at liberty those who are oppressed and not just in terms of military oppression not just in terms of the angry neighbors Jesus comes to set us free from the oppression of sin and death through his resurrection from the dead he conquers death once for all so that those who trust his resurrection from the dead no longer have to fear death he destroys the oppression of death and replaces it with the freedom of eternal life And he destroys the oppression of sin such that all who trust him now have the Holy Spirit living in them and therefore have all the means at their disposal by the power of God to conquer sin in their lives. This is what Jesus does. He brings freedom and he brings peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And we know that peace now in part I mean, we look around the world, there's still war, right? There's still conflict. In our families, perhaps, there's still conflict. But when Jesus returns a second time, all conflict will cease. Every sword, every gun will be melted down. Every war will stop. Every fight will end. And all of those who are in Christ will enjoy peace forever in his new creation. Hark, the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth. Peace on earth, and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. That is the greatest peace for which we yearn, and Jesus comes to bring it. And again, don't mistake what I'm saying. Like, as a Christian, there are still plenty of times of darkness and gloom and sadness and sorrow in my life. War is still happening, but the promise of Isaiah and the promise of Christmas is that Jesus will come to deal with it all. He is the light out of Galilee. He is the one who fulfills the words we've just read. He is the one we can trust to bring light, joy, freedom, and peace as part of his everlasting kingdom. And what beautiful music is that? Here's the song. We stop and listen. What beautiful music plays through Isaiah. What beautiful music plays from Genesis through to Malachi, the music of the Savior. The Old Testament resounds and echoes with it. No one deserves grace, but in Christ, God gives it anyway. That's the story from beginning to end. Will you stop and listen? Will you truly hear? Whatever's happened for you this year, wherever you're at, at the end of this year, will you let this music, this song, be part of your life this Christmas? One thing you might want to do is grab the first eight chapters of Isaiah, It's not that long to read through it. Or you could just grab the YouTube version or Spotify, an audio Bible, whatever. Go for a walk, listen to it. Inhabit it for a moment. Put yourself in the shoes of our friend from Judah. Sit in all of the the sin and sorrow and anguish that's there. Look to see all the different ways that Israel failed. And maybe as you sit there, think of all the ways that we have also failed God. And then listen to or read chapter 9. Hear that great word, "but." Hear all that God has done in Christ. You know, there's something really to, sit in, uh, to to do with sitting in that, and then hearing those words. And as you do that, perhaps what you'll find is that while you're listening to Christmas carols, some of these words just resound with a greater depth and a greater richness to you, because of all that Christ is across the Old Testament and all that Christ is to us today as you're talking with friends about Christmas and what you're going to do you you will find in yourself welling up that same music and you you can't just help but share with them the hope that Jesus brings you might say to them I know there are lots of things we could talk about in terms of the church and God and Jesus and whatever but hey did you know that from beginning to end the Bible is just all about the hope that Jesus wants to bring that would be a good conversation to have because that's what this is. It is a story, centuries in the telling, eternity in the making, that is all about Christ. And let's now pray to this God through the name of this Christ together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the light and joy and freedom and peace that Christ brings as our King. We pray, please help us to to be refreshed in these truths and to know this Christ personally. We pray it in his name, amen. Amen. Uh, We have a good chance to reflect on that now with communion. And so um, if those who are helping, please, could bring the juice and the bread around. Uh, If you are someone who presently trusts in the Jesus that we've just been speaking about, you are most welcome to enjoy this with us. Uh, If you're not sure about where you stand with Jesus, maybe you've been hearing these things here, yeah, that sounds good, but I just don't know if I believe it, just encourage you to let the the bread and the juice pass you by. It'd be something just to watch on and reflect on your own thoughts from uh, what you've heard. But uh, this is a chance to reflect on all that Christ is. So I encourage you just to do that for a moment as these come around. that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He broke it with his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. And so now let's eat remembering Jesus' body given for us. We remember the child born in a human body and grown to give his life for our salvation. And on this night, Jesus also took wine shared it with his disciples and he said this is the blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin so let's take now remembering jesus blood spilt for us
2: stand let's stand and sing together once for all our king has paid it all all the glory to his name Sending hope within a man Oh, his love, it never fails And his love, it never ends He came in flesh to fight our cause With power to tame the ocean's roar Taking on our sin and shame, He has opened up the way. He has overcome the grave. And once for all, our King has paid it all. of men undone all the glory to his name now we live forever free because of Christ the offering No fear in life no sting in death for our God has come for us and our God has Of men under all the glory to his name, all the glory. blood the curse of men under And God bless you all as you leave Make sure you put your rubbish in the bin as you go So we can have our cleaning Don't forget that next week is our new starting time of 10am As you go let me read from 2 Corinthians The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ And the love of God And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Be with you all Amen